Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck sticks? What the fuck nicks? What the fucking ears? What the fucking knots? What the fuck are Ricans? What the fucking avians? What the fuck are Mullins? Oh, that was fun. Boy, I just listed a bunch. And there's always a bunch more. doesn't matter. This is Mark Marin. Uh, this is WTF. I'm glad you're here because I need to talk to you about some stuff. I'll figure out what that is in just a second. First of all, tonight through Saturday, that would be March 8th, 9th, and 10th, I will be at Acme Comedy Club in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Very excited about that. I haven't been there in about 12 years, and they're letting me back in. How about that? Sunday, I will be at South by Southwest at Esther's Follies at 4 p.m. That's the 11th, interviewing Jeffrey Tambor in front of people. Monday night, I will be in New York City taping the John Oliver stand-up show. What else do I want to say about me? Hey, if you haven't got my new record, my new record, what am I, an old guy? Hey, you want to get my new record? My new CD, This Has to Be Funny, is available at iTunes. Do that. If you haven't done that yet, I'd like you to have it. I worked hard on it. We're sponsored today by Independent Lens, the weekly documentary series on PBS. Independent Lens is a great resource for you if you love documentaries or if you just love good stories. It brings the best of documentary film to television and gives a platform to amazing independent filmmakers. These are great movies on free television. This week on Independent Lens, you can check out Bhutto, about the life of Benazir Bhutto, the first Muslim woman elected to lead an Islamic nation. And later this month, you're looking at me like I live here and I don't. This is an intimate account of what it means to lose your mind. I think I'm doing that. Aren't I doing that? It answers the question, how do you make a film about someone who's not sure who she is? Yeah, I can relate to that. Independent Lens airs Thursday nights on most PBS member stations, but check your local listings and check out Independent Lens on Twitter and Facebook for air dates and much more content related to the films. That's exciting. I'm glad these guys are sponsoring us. This is actually important work. Today on the show, Jake Johansson, the Jake Johansson. If any of you are saying, who Jake Johansson? Shame on you. Jake Johansson. Let's talk about Jake Johansson a bit because he comes from a generation of comics that were a little a little older than me, and it was a different world back then. I mean, these were guys that got into comedy to be stand-up comics and to headline stand-up comedy shows. He was part of the 80s comedy boom. I got into comedy just after that original boom seemed to... The wave crashed. I remember you know, when I started out performing at clubs as a middle... Uh, and, and it was always the same sort of thing. It was like, yeah, it was, uh, it was packed last week and that went on through the mid nineties. And I think the week they were talking about was somewhere in the early eighties, but Jake came up during that time. And that was a time when comics, uh, worked where there was a huge club circuit. It's, it's coming back a bit now. And I think that comics are finding their way and able to work for a living as a stand up comic. But back then, They were everywhere. And the reason you got into comedy was to do stand-up comedy as a living. And the interesting thing about Jake is that he is a pure comic. He is a comic that still does stand-up comedy for a living. That has probably generated four, five, six hours of original material. 
The interesting thing about where we're at now comedically is there doesn't seem to be much respect for the hierarchy of stand-up comedy. That, and I'm not saying I'm a big fan of hierarchies, but Jake was huge. When I got in, he was a huge club comic. He was very respected. And the interesting thing is, is now, you know, comedy is very clickish. Uh, there's certain uh, there's outposts of comedy nerdism on either on either coast that seems to accept or reject comics of uh, of Jake's generation. But he was one of the original comedy. You, you would think that his character was a comedy nerd. His style was completely his own. His joke writing was lyrical and, and his bits were long form. And, and he was a huge comic. And I think that that people don't really put that into perspective as much or realize that there are guys like Jake out there still doing the work as, as a comic. I mean, he did the, I think he did the San Francisco comedy festival and it changed his career there. There was, this was a time where you could do a festival and it would change your career. You started working. I the same thing happened to me, but I, I think that, that what bothers me about it is that comedy has changed so much that the relevance of doing an hour. I mean, if you grew up in the 90s, you probably remember seeing Jake's hour on HBO. You probably knew some of his jokes. He was on Letterman dozens and dozens of times, Conan, The Tonight Show. He's had, you know, he had some TV work over over the time, but this was a guy, you know, unlike some other guys that, you know, creates new material every year, and I I don't think that he gets the respect that he deserves because comedy has changed so much. That yeah, the back room in the in the green room now, you know, of the UCB or or even of a club on the road, there seems to be an arrogance to the fact that a comic who's been doing it four years and just did his half hour on Comedy Central is somehow at the same level or 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 beyond somebody like Jake. It's 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 very upsetting to me in some ways. I mean, it, there was a time where an HBO hour meant something. It meant that you were being delivered. You were being coronated into the upper levels of the comedy echelon it was a career changer and now they're giving away hours to everybody comedy central now has hours and the hours on comedy central are like the new half hours and the half hours are the new premium blends there's tons of comics that are generating material yeah which is great i I mean the more comedy the merrier but it's just interesting i think that if you really looked at the people that actually get into stand-up comedy just to be a stand-up comic, that the percentages are much different. And the fact that you have somebody like Jake, who is still out there doing an original hour every year or so, and still being unique and authentic to what he created, and relative to to what's going on on, on either coast in these small communities of, of people that are seeing each other every night and, and think that they are defining what comedy is, it's so small compared to the big country of of comedy. I'm just excited to, to have this opportunity because I'm like everybody else. I'm not in the loop. I'm sort of isolated up here in the garage. There have been periods in my life where I, I knew a comic early on, and then all of a sudden I thought, well, what happened to that guy? Where's he been? Well, Jake's been out there doing stand-up comedy for a living for, what, probably 25 years, 30 years. Does he get the respect he deserves? I don't know. I was excited to hear uh, to hear from him. I was excited to have him in the garage. I think that that unlike a lot of comics from that generation who seem to disappear or not generate enough material or be sort of um, roadie, that Jake was always a guy that that 
truly had a unique point of view and a unique voice and a very specific and unique style. And I guess I find that it's just part of the the weird ebb and flow of comedy that that younger people make choices about you know which comics you know are accepted into the clique now or which comics are are accepted into their sense of what comedy history is. I think it's it it, it tends to be a little bit elitist, a little bit peculiar. But I'll tell you, I got a lot of respect for guys like Jake who are out there busting their ass still doing the job of stand-up comic. Yeah, I don't know about this retiring thing. I don't know that I can You're do it. You're not retiring. No, I, I can't afford to retire, and I don't think I... I'm not sure I, I ever I don't want will. to retire. What does it mean? What are you going to do? I'm going to do... I already am doing a thing that I like doing. <laughs> yeah, Like, but, if I could... I, this in comedy, you don't really yeah. retire. You just get start getting paid less and less and less until finally, it's so just why don't you keep it? Why don't you just keep it? Yeah, yeah. It's like, I'll just sit down and be over here. But that guy, this is his dream over here to build this house, and now all he does is drill and blow and nail, and he's got dogs that bark. And uh, I, I don't resent him, but uh, but sometimes he suggested I put an on air sign outside of the garage facing him. That then he done. would respect when that came on? Yeah, supposedly. But he's retired. You know, I'm sure he's got something else to do, some other arranging or building. I'd put the on-air sign out there and then get, uh, you know, the motion sensors, get a noise sensor. So mm-hmm. whenever he makes noise, it the on-air goes, sign goes on. It just <laughs> condone him to his house by suggestion. Uh, in the garage, Jake Johansson, a person I've watched do comedy uh, for as long as I've been doing comedy. I believe I did a, a show that you hosted. Didn't you host a show that I was on? I know it's a tough question. Didn't you host something? Two Drink Minimum? Oh, Two Drink Minimum, yes. Yes, I did host that. I knew show. that. Yes. It was, it was a lot of people did that show. That was a really big uh, thing. Sure. I mean, yeah. I was hosting it, so it was a fun job for me, but then a lot of people who did it, like you and uh, Everyone did Brett it. Butler, and I mean, a lot of people went on and had huge success after that, but I mean, it was just one of those kind of like everybody does that show at that yeah. time, and then so. There seemed to be more of those shows. They have the premium blend now, but it, they, people don't realize that they always had at least, there were more of those shows when we were younger, basic cable showcase shows that everyone did. Yeah, well, that one, and that one was a, you know, they made 26 of them. It wasn't like evening at the, imp- Sorry, oh, he's cranking it up yeah. over there. He's getting, he missed a spot. He missed a spot. It's, it, you know, it's, it's, it gives a little texture to the podcast. I don't know if people, I can hear it from outside of the headphones. I don't know if people can hear it on the headphones. Yeah. May, now it may sound like we're just crazy. Well, no, yeah, that's well, true. Or now we're hello. just going to draw attention to it. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> we aren't crazy. But uh, yeah, there was more shows like that. But I remember when I got to San Francisco, I moved to San Francisco, I guess, in 1992. You were long gone, but mythic in that region. Mythic is nice. That sounds nice. It sounds nice when people say that. But no. that was, yeah, I had started there in 82. That's the nice thing about listening to your show is you kind of get perspective of like, this is what I know what I was doing then. And now I'm listening to what everybody else was doing then. And I'm kind of building that big flow chart in my yeah. brain and about wh- where, where you everybody fit into is it? and what sure. they do. Because you have, you have this thing with a lot of people where... It's like Mark Maron. No, you're like Zelig. Like Mark Maron. No, he's the he's the L.A. comedy store guy. No, Mark Maron's a Boston guy. No, I remember Mark Maron from San Francisco. <laughs> I am that guy. I am like Zelig. You yeah, probably, because like, that was how I knew you. From you know, I would come, I would come back to San Francisco and work after I had moved to L.A. and, and I and right. then 
I think we you you were kind of passing through, and so we might have done a gig or two together. I think the sometime. one time it was weird. The only time I ever remember really talking to you was for some. It was in a parking lot of one of the improvs. And I don't remember what it was, but I remember it was not a happy talk. But you had uh, well, the parking lot conversation is always sort of the ang. Just before we go home, let me just yeah. let me just pinch this off. But you said something. You had this. You have. A, I, I've tried to paraphrase it about something about you. Know, you go to Hollywood. Uh, do you know where I'm going with this? Yeah. And- well, this is. I. This is the kind of a conversation that I had with Tom Rhodes. You know, when we were talking, he had his sitcom thing that didn't work right. out. You know, where you. You you get down there and you kind of they you they're gonna you're gonna do your own show own show and you're so grateful and you think everybody else is smart and they're yep. gonna help you yeah and uh, they tell you no 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 you don't know what's best we're gonna trust us we're gonna make it better and yeah. then and then it and then the show tanks and they all go on to another job and you go back into the dugout and wait for your next at bat and <laughs> it's like oh what just happened <laughs> and it feels like you come to Hollywood and everybody loves you and you get invited to this great party and you're in there and you get a shrimp and somebody brings you a drink and you talk to a beautiful girl and you get her phone number and then somebody else says, hey, come over here, I want to show you something. You go out this door and you're in the alley and you can't get back in and you walk around the front and they don't know who you are, you're not on the list anymore and it's like your shrimp is terrible and you, I should have got more. Shrimp, hit the shrimp hard when you're in the party. That's my advice to everybody. Coming from San Francisco, you know, everybody hates L.A., mm-hmm. and they feel like it's soulless and mm-hmm. terrible, and yeah. then you move here, and something inside you dies, and it doesn't bother you anymore. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, and you don't really miss the part. It sounds sad to people who still have that part of themselves, like, oh, that'll be terrible when I lose that. But when it actually does die, you don't miss it at all. <laughs> You're like, it's nice here. I'm it's happy. Okay. It's warm. Yeah. Yeah, people are superficial, but look at their cleavage. Yeah. But you were like a defining member of that, you know, that big sort of uh, first wave of San Francisco comedy. There was definitely a thing happening there when you got there. Am I right? I moved there. There was no. I moved from the Midwest, and uh, there was no comedy scene in the Midwest. There were clubs in Chicago that I that I'd only where heard from, about. Where were you from? I'd only heard about Zanies, Iowa, and I was going to college. And what I was met, the original plan? Well, I met this guy when I was in college doing this play, Sexual Perversity in Chicago, which then was made into a movie Mammoth? with Jim Belushi. Yeah, yeah. And um, so the guy who played the Jim Belushi part, and I played the I guess it was Rob Lowe part. And he and I got to be friends, and he supposedly was a comic in Chicago. He was 10 years older than me, and I was 20 at the time. You'd probably be good in Mammoth. Well, it was like you've fun. You've got a good clip for that conversation, for that rhythm, I bet. It was good. And, yeah. Uh, and it's, yeah, well, it was, that, was a, that was a key experience for me, that yeah. whole play, because I met this guy who was a comic. The first time I had sex was with the woman who played the person opposite me in the movie the or in the, in the play. First play you ever did? Yeah, first and play. Well, you, I guess I did a play maybe in high school. What or were something. you studying to be? I was studying to be at that time. I started off to be an engineer or a veterinarian. I switched to chemical engineering because I was good in science and math. I was a valedictorian, co-valedictorian in my high school, so I was really a smart you kid. Still, you got so still, much promise, Mark. Yeah, yeah, so much you, promise. You still got chops. You still got math chops. I was explaining to my wife yesterday about how, why the moon looks bigger when it comes up than oh, yeah? when it's up in the sky high because of the pers- how much atmosphere you And she could understand through. you? Kind of, but she wanted to argue with me. That's how she does it. She wants me to explain something and then so argues with me at the same time about right. like, why she's right, but I don't. Anyway, that's, that's for and, later. And the veterinarian thing, do you come from animals? 
I liked animals, but uh, but like Iowa's or what, I mean, what oh was yeah, the... well I, I we had a family vet and I went out and hung out with him. I can't believe I still wanted to be a veterinarian after I followed a like a big animal vet. You know, like all creatures great and small. Remember that book? The, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. I followed this vet around to farms and watched him put on a rubber glove and shove it up inside of a cow. <laughs> to check and see if the calf was okay. <laughs> and I still wanted to be a vet. But then when I got to to college yeah. and, I, and I'm hanging out with the other pre-vet people, I realized I'm not like them. They're not like, so I thought I'll switch to chemical engineering. What were they like, pre-vet people? Were they were they... very farmy. Oh, really? It was... So it wasn't like, I love animals. I just want to help dogs. It was like, no, we got to get the help that cow. And we, uh, I birthed a few cows. I know, yeah. but but now I'd like to really get into deep into how that all goes on and what you know how to make it <laughs> not better. Your, not your bag. It wasn't my like. I uh, where's the dog people, the cat people? They weren't. How do I tell a kid that his wizard's not going to live? Yeah, that's more what I was kind of into. So yeah, um, and so then you moved into engineering or chemicals or yeah. Yeah, and then I auditioned for this play. I had a friend who said, oh, you should audition for that. And yeah. so I did, and I got it. And yeah. they, the director and the guy who was playing opposite me worked at this restaurant, so I got a job at the restaurant. I mean, it was sort of the death spiral of everything. I lost my virginity. I quit I quit living in the dorm. Yeah. I moved off campus, yeah. and I got a job at this restaurant. And Baptism you know, into the counterculture. Two years later, yeah. I'm dropping out of college to go to San Francisco with this guy who was supposedly a comic in Chicago. Mm-hmm. But he, the plan was I was going to drop out, save a little money. He was going to go out, get an apartment, and then I would come out and we'd be roommates. But he freaked out and came back before. <laughs> I've already dropped out of college and told my parents and my advisor and everybody else. So it was like when you're 20, 21. Under and, his tutelage. Yeah, yeah. It's like I know what I'm doing. This guy's helping me. And then I now I'm moving out by myself and staying with my cousin that I sort of barely knew, but I couldn't stay at her house because her apartment was too small. So I'm staying with her gay friend and his lesbian roommate. And this and, is all new to you. Yeah, and we're staying right on Church and Market Street, which is pretty close to the Castro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I'm like in town, and I, you know, I'm hanging around with the theater people in Iowa. So I had a pierced ear, and it was kind of yeah, the I little get, round glasses and the, the round round glasses. I mean, I like a baby face i totally look didn't like you have that new wave haircut too yeah it yeah. was so oh, like you were I, like fresh meat i so looked like bait <laughs> i looked like bait on the hook what? and this... so this guy yeah. so i'm staying in this apartment and this gay guy mm-hmm. i'm saying well so if i'm gonna walk around he's like hey if you're walking around you want to get a beer Are you, you know where they have a good mixed crowd of yeah. gays and straight people yeah. you know because uh-huh. i'm thinking i'm a yeah. hip 21 sure. year old you, you know what's handle so growing yeah, up yeah. he says you could just go down to this place the midnight sun yeah i don't know if you ever saw that no. bar but it's not straight they have, at all oh, they only the only flowers they have are those the the ones with the yellow the, the red palm yeah. thing and the yellow yeah. penis that sticks out of it and it's all joan rivers clips in there and it's all guys there's yeah. nobody in there but guys and mm-hmm. you're in there and you order a drink and then, then it's like oh well, i gotta get out of here <laughs> This is not where I'm supposed to be. These are, this is not. This. How did the guy freak out though? Like you just the guy who you went out there with. He well, he was ten years older than me. Said he was a Vietnam. Was he a comic? Vet. I you know since then you know then I get out there and I'm doing comedy. But it's it takes like a year before I know Becky at the uh, Holy City Zoo and I know anybody where I can kind of ask. So now it's. Now it's a year after the fact when I'm saying, hey, this guy, you remember this guy? He came yeah. out here, he did some sets. They yeah. don't know who he is. Yeah. Then, and then then it's five, six years before I go to Chicago and I'm working at Zany's where he said he started and yeah. they don't really know him there either, but they could have forgotten him. Yeah. You know, maybe he did a few sets. And, yeah, he just disappeared. Yeah, I talked to him a few times after that, but 
you know, because he kind of got me started. So I'm yeah. grateful. But yeah. he was just a complete yeah. I, liar. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> not a liar, but I just went like, maybe well, who he was, was he? He was using you to maybe give him a little push to do what he wanted to do. Like he said, well, I'm this guy. And then you were like, let's go. And then you went, and he's like, oh, I'm not that guy. He, he totally left. he totally freaked out and was not that guy. Then, right. he came, then when he came back, before I left, he ran up some bills on my phone. Oh, and yeah. He stayed at my yeah, house. Sure. At the end, eventually paid me back in his whatever step that is. Yeah, of, yeah. Oh, he did? You know, yeah. yeah. He got sober, and he, he made paid, He paid me the dough back that he... It was some small, like... Oh, at the good. time, it was a big deal, like yeah. three hundred bucks. But yeah. it, but now three hundred. Oh, he got you know he got closure. It, good but for it was him. Good. He really did me a solid favor. So who is that guy? I mean, who was the uh, like at that time? What was San Francisco like? Because I know that like you know Bobcat had left Boston, and Kevin Meany had left Boston, and Dana Gould had left Boston, and Tom Kenny had left Boston, and then there were people like you who showed up there, and DeGeneres was there. And... Well, this was before I got there. Before that, you did. I got there. So you were a kid. Kevin Meany might have been. I was twenty-one, and it was in nineteen eighty-two. Mm-hmm. First time I went on stage would have been March. So I'll be thirty years since the first time I went on stage in. Beginning of next year, you're a few years older than me. What are you? Fifty? Fifty-one. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so w- w- this this other guy and my our plan was based on a Time magazine article that he used to carry around with him That's about Robin Williams getting his start <laughs> at the Holy City Zoo. He so had it it's in just his like. Wallet? Well, it's just like, you know, when you watch a movie and two guys have some half-baked idea of how they're going to get into show business, it's like, it says right here, he started out at the Holy City Zoo. So that's where we're going to go. It's going to be in the phone book. You know, there's no internet, so you got to just look stuff up in the phone book of the newspaper and you go like, I... So I went out there and then... um... I was I went on at the Holy City Zoo. The first place I went on, though, was Cobbs. I called up and there was this guy, John Cantu, who was the you know, the manager, and I'm asking about when the open mic starts. The Holy City Zoo must have been fucking amazing, though. Yeah, it was great. Well, so Robin Williams was already gone gone and doing his thing, but, uh, you know, there was Jeremy Kramer and Stephen Pearl and Billy Jay and Dr. Gonzo and who else? Paula Poundstone was headlining and Dana Carvey, A. Whitney Brown, Kevin Pollack. You know, those are all the guys who... We're headlining, and then when you start to get MC gigs, you get to MC. So you do your show, and then you watch Dana Carvey do his right. six shows during the week. And From just... right next to him, because the Holy City Zoo seated like 12 people. That place was insane. Yeah, well, that was, that was a, I mean, I've done shows in there where it's like I'm the host of the yeah. open mic, and it yeah. starts off, and there's four people there. Yeah. And there's so many, com- you know, there's, there's 20, 30 comics yeah. going to go on. And so yeah. there's four people there and then it fills up to 100 people and then it goes down slowly, slowly. And then there'll be six people there. <laughs> the arc. And then four of them will decide to leave and the other two don't realize that they missed their chance. You know, So those four people leave and now it's two people sitting there and you and there's guys always on stage going, no, just don't go. There's one more guy. Just please, just don't go. Because the show when they leave, the show's over and people are in the back like, do you think you can make them stay till I go on and do my set? And they really want to go on. I remember that feeling of like, just keep them here. Just, just don't let them go. Because there's still a difference between standing up on that stage and two people and sitting at the bar and saying, just hang out a minute, let me tell you this thing. Well, and there's, yeah, and there's also a difference between those two people who are in the audience drinking beer in a nightclub and you just walking up to two strangers <laughs> at a bus stop and going, hey, here's some ideas that I, I you know. It's it's not much of a difference, but it but is. there's a yeah. slight difference. Yeah, the one is show business and the other one is homelessness. <laughs> Both can be irritating, though. Yeah. So all right, so then th- that all goes down, 
And uh, but you stayed there for a while, right? Because you were like a big act. I mean, you started to do. I'm, I'm not trying to put that in the past tense. I didn't mean to be condescending or rude. You still are. No, huge. that went completely over my head. And so, then I but I, it's nice for you to go back and yeah. really point out that this is where I insulted you. <laughs> this I, is, yeah. I didn't mean to because, like, I mean, I saw you on your last Letterman. That was your 40th Letterman. Yes. And it was fucking amazing. You're always amazing. And, and That's nice of you to say that. But you're a, a unique comic. No one does. It's very difficult to, to do what you do comedically. You're not like a joke guy. It's always long form. It always comes back around. You have a certain style to what you did. Now, when you started out, was that what it was? No. I mean, everybody's sort of terrible when they start right. out. And you kind of figure out who you are. I feel like I had a fast turnaround for the time but but when i started there wasn't really a lot of comedy clubs around the right. country there's a lot of comedy clubs in the bay area and you could really make a living working three weekends a month just in the san francisco where you could sleep in your own bed and drive out right you know to right. do the, the shows the satellite gigs and then and then i would go to boston for three weeks or four weeks and couch surf and right. do some gigs or go up to seattle um, but yeah, I started out there and it took me probably four years to sort of figure out what I was doing on stage. And then once that happened, it was pretty fast. Like a year and a half later, I won the San Francisco comedy competition, which at the time right. was a huge deal. It was, and you could headline all the clubs in the Bay Area. You were an instant headliner there. Right. And draw. By the time I did it, it was starting to wind down. Yeah. 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 It's, it's like, like, who do you remember who was in your finals? Ah, uh, not really. I am not. Sh I think it was Eddie Strange. I think Dana Gould might have been in that year, and I I'm not positive. What do you think about like when I went to San Francisco? I was there for two years, uh, and it was in the '90s already. But there's something about what that city, how that city supports comedy, that really because you look at the comics that sort of came out of there, and they're all very thoughtful. They're very unique. They're not. Uh, they're not. It's not like New York where you're on, on a defensive all the time and you're just punching jokes. There's an environment yeah. there that sort of wants you to indulge yourself. Well, New York is very, I find it to be kind of combat-y. The guys who come out of there, they're used to kind of, you it's go like, on and you talk boxing. to the crowd and you deal yeah. with them. Yeah. And in San Francisco, it, there was more, I think, and I and I think it was just the sensibility of the comedians as well. I mean, it's the, the people who own the comedy club, but the comedians, they had their own kind of whatever, cliquish, snobbish, whatever. Yeah. However, you could put a positive spin on it and a negative spin on it, but they put an emphasis on... Try and be creative and do be yourself or do something different. I mean, yeah. the only real way that you can do something different is to be yourself. Right. Um, and so that's true, isn't it? I think it's true, but what do I know? <laughs> you know a lot. You've lived a long time already. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you, you See, now this... that you, I don't think you realized was an insult, but yeah. that actually hurt. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, at some point. No, you, no, I know what you mean, but you it's have just a wisdom. Like, you get to be. A certain age. I'm 47. Right. So you do you feel like this thing where like people ask you how old you are and you almost feel like you're lying when you tell them? Yes, because I don't see myself as a, a grown person. I you know I don't know. I'm not surrounded by things that, that that alert me to the fact that I'm aging. I do not have children. Uh, but I, you know, so I think that's a one real indicator. Like as that kid grows, you're like, I must be growing. I must be getting yeah. older. But I don't have that. I have ex-wives, you know, I, I, and I have cats. I don't. The only thing that I have that indicates I'm getting older is is my face and aches and pains. Well, and the grind of the 
the there there is that most people have this job where they have to deal with these people like yeah. it or not you yeah. know there's the guy that you like and there's the people you don't like for and years whatever, for yeah, years yeah, and yeah, it just yeah. grinds on and on and ours that's more of a kind of a changing carnival yeah, yeah, but yeah. over time there there's that like i'm in the hotel sad in my underpants again you know listening to your show there's sort of a theme amongst comedians about the and then i was crying in the airport and you know i've heard a couple of them like kathleen madigan and a couple other people mention that it's just like oh yeah you know i'm glad you said that because it's sort of a weird thing that i think most people don't have but all comedians are like there's yeah. you're flying. It's sometimes you're flying there. Yeah. Sometimes you got up at three thirty and you're at the airport at four, yeah. five in the morning, and you just feel like you made a mistake in your life and you're With sad. Everything. And yeah. or you're coming home and something terrible happened, or the last show there was an argument about how many people were sitting. You know, it's it's like oh god, and you're just sitting there crying, wishing just a you little had, bit, you know, just you, a little yeah. bit. Not not like you're not putting on some terrible show. Where yeah. You're spitting and snotting and everything, but you're right. just having a little weep. Yeah, there's yeah exactly. There are those moments where you leave a show. Have you have that moment? moment where you get done with the show you do a great show even and then you know you're walking back to the hotel with nobody and you get to the hotel and it's like what just happened it just it's that's it that's your life it yeah yeah <laughs> it's the weirdest feeling to me the the one that kind of doesn't make me cry but i think it's just a funny part of this job is you fly somewhere so you get up early in the morning, you go to the airport, you don't really talk to anyone except for how many bags are you checking and do you want to yeah, yeah, yeah. drink on the plane. And yeah. You don't talk to anyone all day. And sometimes you're at in the city, you wake up in the morning, you barely talk to anyone all day long. Yeah. And then they say your name and you go talk to 300 people for an hour. <laughs> and then you don't talk to anyone else till the next day. <laughs> yeah, It's just sort of a kind of a, like, this is, I, I talk to all my, I have all my conversations at one time in an hour during the day. <laughs> And then the rest of the time, that's free. I don't talk to do anyone. Do you get that thing where, do you, I mean, like, I've gotten to this point where I don't, I, I like being in hotel rooms. And I don't know when that happened. I, like, it's quiet. It's controllable. There's, you know, none of it is really my responsibility. I like it. I, I do. There is a part of being on the road and the walking around, listening to, I like to listen to podcast, your podcast yeah. or I yeah. like or it's just yeah. some kind of listening to some talking or an audio book yeah, yeah. and I'm walking around and I'm seeing the city and I'm just in my own little world. I, yeah, I like, yes, I definitely, that that's a good thing. But I've been some of the places, so listening to you, you know, that there's a few places that you go where it's like the club is great and you have a great time, but it's like a challenge, like that Edmonton gig. Oh. I was there. I love the club. I love the people there. The other comics were nice. Yeah, yeah. You know, I can do the Late Show Friday. I sure. can't get it. You yeah. know, we're going to just surf this kind of wave of whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Cranky, yeah. drinky. Yeah. Fun. They're polite drunks in a way. That, but, you know, you can, you know, the Canadians, are, there's something about the drunks there. They're more like childish. They're not like, you're an asshole. Fuck you. Well, it's the nice thing about Canada is one of, it's one of the few places where if you disagree with someone, you could actually get in a fist fight. <laughs> That's the nice thing about it. You know, they're not going to shoot you or kill you or stab you. It's just like, no, I'm just going to punch you in the head because I disagree with you. And and then we'll be finished. It's about hockey. Yeah. But when you go back to that cowboy hotel room, I had a hotel. You know, they put you in the hotel room. Are you talking about the Mall of America or the mall, the big mall? Yeah. Yeah. Where the hotel is in the thing, the fantasy land. So I'm on the cowboy floor. Yeah. It's a cowboy thing. Yeah, I'm on that floor too. The The door has a big horse. Yeah. I get to the room and it's like there's two queen beds yeah. and then two bunk beds. <laughs> and I so I go back downstairs and I go this is just I, I you know nothing personal but it just makes me sad to be in the room with like like I don't have two boys that would be sleeping in there but just that those two bunk beds are just making me sad. And she's like 
We can't. That's the only room we have for tonight. Maybe tomorrow we can move, but I can't move either. The next day, I'm not going to move hotel rooms. It's just like, look, I already got all my stuff and put it away. Did you sleep in a bunk bed? No, I didn't. I thought about it. I slept in the other two beds, and I thought, maybe maybe that's what I'll do. That'll be my project this week, is I'll sleep in all the beds in my room. And then you get up. I'll turn the air on for a minute. You get up and... uh, you walk out right out into that mall. Did you get? Did you go anywhere? Uh, I got the uh, the feature act. The the other two acts actually yeah. were nice enough to take me out for lunch on Saturday, so yeah. I got out. But it was you know the the, when, the time to go when you're going to have good attendance and the club's yeah. going to be happy and yeah. you're going to make money. They yeah. can pay you your thing and whatever. Yeah. Is dead of winter. That's when people want to go out and see a comedy show. So it was 28 degrees below zero. It's just like the moon when we're driving in from the airport and I yeah. see somebody walking. I'm like, should we help them? <laughs> Do you think we should stop and see if that person is going to die? They're covered with gear, winter gear. Well, yeah, it's like it's like that the thing. You know, remember that John Carpenter movie, the thing. It's like I think we should go. (laughs) She may be in trouble. So now, all right, because here's the other time I remember, uh, you know, spending time with you. There was a did I auditioned for you? Is that possible? I auditioned for a show that you were doing. Um, Well, I've had a few. This is the other thing. You know, how come? This is the thing I like about your show. Yeah. Is like you, I heard your Montreal speech, which yeah. is great. P- people are listening to this. They should definitely listen to that if you want to know what it's like to be a comedian when you're just sort of beat down. and you. The people who are supposed to care about you are like, we don't know what to do. It's like, no, that is the only thing. That's your job is to always know what to do. You can't say you don't know what to do. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, so now you got to invent your life. A new thing. So why don't you have your own TV show? Well... I had a chance to have my own TV show a few times. I mean, there, there's a lot of possible answers, and the only answers you can give sound like they're defensive or jealous or, <laughs> yeah. or, or you know, rationalizations. I got fucked somehow. Yeah, yeah. I got how how I guess I mean I just can only blame bad judgment on the part of others. Yeah. I mean that's the nicest way to say. Yeah. I'm good and they're wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many did you have? Did you? I had when I first came to LA. I had a. I immediately. It was like. It was a little before everybody was getting development deals, but it was like, you're great. We're going to put you in a show. NBC has these writers. They've got a show that, that uh, Brandon Tartikoff at the time likes, and uh, they're his friends. He, they got this deal. Yeah. We're going to put you in that show. Yeah. So I'm like, great. Yeah. And then his, his daughter had a car accident, and he was away for a while. And then when he came back, he saw what we had done, and he it was like, I think we're going to pass on that. And then you may have come in. I, I and then I had a, I had one at Fox with my friend Tom Wilson that we actually it was supposed to be a presentation, which was that was the beginning. No, this of, was during casting. This I mean they were casting. So this a pilot. might have been um, Berg and Schaefer, two got two writers from the Letterman show, yeah. wanted to develop a show that, and they liked it. me and yeah. I liked them and so yeah. I met with them and I we sort of collaborated on the idea of the show and I was going into auditions and then. I actually had to audition then. So I've been going in and meeting with them a couple times a week and going to read other actors for the other parts. And then the network says, you know, we'd like you just, it's not a big deal, but we'd like you to come in and read against a couple of other people for the part of Jake. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I was like, look, I don't mind. I can come in and I'll show you what I'm going to do. But if you're going to have other people read for the part of, the, of Jake, I mean, 
that hurts. You're it just about, hurts. Jake Johansson, right? We're yeah, talking. yeah. It's like you mean Jake, the Jake that the writers like. That I've been in the room, kind of. We're talking about jokes to put in the show and who would be great for the other characters. And yeah. You mean that Jake? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> me. Yeah. You mean me? We would just like to to have something to compare you to because there may be somebody who does you better. That's all. I mean, just it's like, wait, it hurts. That's, that hurts. Oh God. And then what happened to it? My manager was able to, at the time to negotiate them to like, look, why don't you have Jake come in and read? And if you don't like him, then you can read other people. But let's not. Let's let's wait and decide if you need to see other people until after you've seen him. And so then that solved the problem. They were okay, and it was all okay. But so you probably came in and read for the other guy. Yeah, that, probably. Yeah, which is the. So I've had a few of those deals where you're on the show, and now your other actors are coming in and. Reading like, with you, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and you have guys who you know are great, and the and the producers Gosh. like, but the network wants some. They've already got a deal with someone whose yeah. show didn't work out, but yeah. they're paying them anyway, so yeah. it won't cost them anything to stick them into your show. Yeah, and that's who they want you to take, and it's just re- like really, you already made a mistake with this person, yeah, you and now you want to put them in this show. I, I mean, think, it, I don't think people realize how much politics involves in, is involved in this. And then some of it is like, well, I think we should take that person, and then we can get who we want for this other guy. Yeah, it's all politics, and then you know, you're just and like you said before, which I thought was is is so right. It's like, how much life do we have? I mean, when you're building a show around a guy who's got a life, you, I'm not a guy that makes. I don't build. I'm not creating surrealistic landscapes. I mean, if I'm if I got a deal for to do something, it's going to be based on that chunk of my life. Well, and then when that goes south, it's like I got. I guess I got to live more and hope I don't get too old to do this. Right, you're the guy who has to wait to. You right, know. they just go on to the next thing, and you're like, all right, so that chunk of my life is now garbage. So I got a little bit cranky about this thing when I had to audition, and one of the executives, not from the network, who I was supposed to read for, but the studio. Yeah, you know, there's all these levels of helpers. Um, was like, you seem like you're taking this a little personally. And I was like, <laughs> and I said, can, uh, can we go outside and just talk for just a second? And we would go outside. Cry, talk, and yell, I kind of explained, like, I'm the only, I'm the only person in the room who's not getting paid right now. While we're auditioning other actors, you're all getting paid. And if this show doesn't go, you still are. This is your job, and you'll just go do another part of your job. But if this show doesn't. First of all, I have to get on this show because I'm not technically, I don't have a deal to even be paid for, for this little bit. But if this show doesn't go, it's going to take me six years to have another chance to do another show. So it is, in that sense, I hope you can understand, slightly more important to me <laughs> than it is to you. It's very personal to me how good this is. I want it to be really good. Yeah. Because if it's not really good, I'm, I'm, going, back, I'm going back to the happy hut. I don't mind the happy hut. I like it. They know me there. Yeah. It's free drinks. <laughs> yeah. But, to, you know, I want it to be good. It's yeah. personal to and, me. And how that guy responded to that. It was a woman, and she was very, she kind of got it after. I didn't get mad, and so she appreciated that I didn't get mad, I think. And, and she sort of, I, I feel like she really didn't understand that. I was explaining something to her that, that she only kind of got it from her point of view. And once I said that, you know, it was all great. Because I wasn't mad about it. I was just kind of like, yeah, it is personal to me. And I was of explaining course. it. So, so we were all okay about that. But, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you bitter about it? Are you bitter about where you're at? Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, I kind of feel like if I could sign the piece of t- paper right now, if there was if there was like you you sign this piece of paper and you'll sell out every live show you do 
that's under 500 people in attendance, I would say, yeah, I'll sign that piece of paper. Yeah. I mean, that's fun. Yeah. You go to the comedy club and they're happy to see you and the audience it's sold out and people yeah. like you and you're having a good time. Yeah. You can make a nice living. I mean, I have a house that's six blocks from the beach. I wake up, I sit up in my bed, I can see the Pacific Ocean. My wife is awesome. I couldn't have got a wife like that if I wasn't. A, a veterinarian? Funny, yeah. The veterinarian doesn't get to marry this lady. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my daughter's hilarious. It's really, I, I have a very, by any, this is the weird thing in show business is because they get you into this world of like, our, our, you know, I know you asked that question not, not out of, you, you're like, really, it's just like, how do you feel? Yeah. But most people think like, are you bitter because you really... It's not so good what happened to you. You know, you didn't get to be Robin Williams. Well, not many people get to be Robin Williams. Yeah. By, by any standards of success in the world, you know, when people come up to you after the show and say, oh, it's too bad that, you know, you don't have your own show. It's like, yeah, it would be great to have my own show. I'd love that. I'd love to have a career in movies. I'd love to be doing a podcast. It's got a bunch of listeners and selling coffee. But I'd love to be doing that. You can do that. Yes, and I'm looking. I'm taking your <laughs> seminar after this. When we're done with this, we can make that happen. Yeah, uh, because because the homemade aspect of it, the idea of like I'm going out. The Jerry Seinfeld show was awesome. Yeah. It was an awesome show, and I loved watching it. No one ever said on Thursday night. You know what? I'm going to put. I'm going to stick twenty dollars into the TV. <laughs> To watch that show, yeah. But when you go to Edmonton, yeah, to the mall, yeah, those guys, they got a babysitter. They left their house. They paid twenty dollars to come and watch your show, yeah. And afterwards, they come up to you and tell you how much fun they had. Sometimes they want to buy a T-shirt or a CD. Yeah, Some yeah. people want to just hug you, yeah. Oh, you yeah, know, yeah. So I'm not bitter. I, I, yeah. it started off as a little rationalization. I think about like I, I like doing the live shows, but the reality is now the proof is in the pudding. When a guy like Jerry Seinfeld has the success of his TV show, all the money he could want, and the ability to go on TV and do whatever else he would want, but he wants to go out on the road and do stand-up comedy shows. I rest my case. Right. You know. Yeah. I rest my case. I, I think the the what when as you get to like just from my own point of view when you get older. And, I, and I'm talking about me, not you, that there's some part of you because of what we do. And I, obviously, I don't know what your situation is, but there's some part of you that realizes, like, I got nothing put away. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, and I, I got a little bit put away. Um, right. Right. But, but there's part. Of, I think that the Seinfeld model in terms in terms of popularity, that's one thing. But there there comes a point like you're talking about before where you're on the road and there are those moments where you're like, I, I in, in these weird, dark moments, my darkest moments revolve around me thinking like that yeah, would be just good to have a restaurant job you, that there's part of me that thinks that if I just had the job that was consistent then I'd somehow be taken care of later. There's something about having money saved because you made a lot of money that's very attractive Oh, to yeah. Me. Well, the idea of, like, I'm sitting on a pile yeah. that means that no matter what happens, I'm financially okay. That that would be an awesome feeling. Yeah. But really, the size of that pile doesn't have to be as big as you think it has to it be. Does. Oh, good. All right. First of all, yeah. and second of all... You know, when all the, there was the boom and the bust of comedy clubs, and some guy's got a club, and he's now he's going out of business because it doesn't work to give away tickets to rowdy shot comic. Yeah, and uh, so he's like, "What are we going to do?" It's like, "Well, I don't know what you're going to do. We we'll get a karaoke machine or a mechanical bull or I don't know pool tables, but I'm going to keep go. I'm going to do. I this is all I got. I got. Yeah, I own a bar. Yeah, you're going to do what that whatever you do, and I'm going to keep doing the same thing that I'm doing because I. 
like I said at the beginning, you know, they may cut your pay, but people are always going to want to come somewhere where they sit down and listen to someone who makes them laugh for an hour. I think that's true. I mean, it's a good. It's just like there's not going to be a time where people go, you know what? Things we're, are so done. terrible. I don't want to laugh yeah, anymore. Yeah. Or things are so great. I don't want to laugh anymore. Either way, it's just like really we go here. But that I feel like stand-up comedy is an undervalued art form in the sense that uh, you get to see very accomplished performers who've done a lot of things yeah. in a very tiny venue. Oh yeah, and it's it's great. It's electric. It's fun. I mean, I love doing it. I think that being that you were part of that original comedy boom that everyone talked about, like I think I came in on the tail end of that. Well, by the time I started getting paid to do comedy. Pretty much when you'd go on the road, it was always this. I don't know what happened this week. You know, last week was packed. And you know, I got to think that they were talking about a week that was somewhere in the mid-80s. That well, I, I, and it was, sometimes they were talking about, like, I'm spinning it down so that when I tell you we didn't hit the bonus number. Right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. you know, you know, yeah. But, like, at that time, like, I remember hearing this about you, that you were there you were this guy I, I don't know what these weird things stick in my head that you would, uh, you would put your mailing list cards on the tables. Yeah, well, I feel like... You were like ahead of the curve I, on that. I was ahead of the curve on that. I had a website very early and a banner with the website on it, but I was putting mailing list cards on the table. I took the mailing list in, and now I've since entered them into the computer, and now I've got on my website, you can sign up for Do a mailing list. Do you still have your original mailing list? I mean, from when you started touring? Do you have? Well, you I have those... those cards went into the one. That's no, no, on the I computer. know, I know, but you still have those original. I still names. have those email lists. Well, it's in. It's now in a computer that I just say all the people from Colorado. I want to send them an email, and it sorts them. And I but, don't. But you've kept but the I could, names. Yes, yes. And some of them have stayed with you. Yes, they don't all drop. Well, I mean, the mailing list thing, the email. You know, you got to be on email, oh, yeah, and you got a Facebook and yeah, Twitter. Yeah. Like I got on Twitter as soon as I heard about it. So my, I still only have like less than four hundred tweets. But my first tweet. I had no idea. what I just heard it on NPR, so I signed up for an account. Yeah. And I thought, you're just supposed to tell people where you are. That's what that's what the original thing. Oh, you people will follow you. I engage. didn't tell people I was on it. I just... So people sort of found me over time, and now more and more people are finding. So, you know, you just want a way to tell people, this is, I'm coming to the town, or here's a funny joke, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the first ones were like, I'm having a steak with my friend in New York City at this restaurant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I could have totally been stalked. <laughs> but yeah. it was really just like... I'm broadcasting. Please come and be with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody showed up. Oh, but now, but now they do. They hear they hear your thing and they come to the shows and stuff. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. So I was an early adopter on that stuff. But uh, you know, I just figuring out what do you do? Like, you know, you try and get the website so that you've got video on it, podcast. Now everybody's got a podcast. Yeah, but we, you're going to get one. We, uh, it's very easy to do, and and I'll and I'll help you out. I'll Thanks. help you do that. Thanks for helping me with my podcast. What, who would I talk to? <laughs> my neighbor. <laughs> no, what do you mean? It's my you're... neighbor again. No, I'm not. I, I, yeah. I know who to talk to. I know how to do it. You do? We're no. good with that? You don't? No, we're going to have to talk no, about it's that, gonna, not it's, now. It's going to be great. I mean, it, the, the great thing about doing this is that, uh, you know, you can just um, you, know, you can just be you and put it out in the world and see if people come to it. It is. Well, and that is the thing I feel like with uh, with Twitter also is better because it's just like... I'm just saying this, and if yeah. you want to listen, you can, and I can listen to you, but I don't have to listen to you, and if you talk to me, then we can have a conversation. Have you got into it? Have you gotten into some Twitter scraps? And you know, A little bit. I'm hesitant. To, I don't want... I'm not an argue guy. Like, politics, I've got opinions, but my thing is I want, I'm doing a comedy show where everybody's going to laugh, and so I want... If you disagree with my opinion, I still want to point out something funny. Yeah. You know? Right. You're not an angry guy that's just going to leave. Well, just me. a grinder, yeah, preach no, to the yeah, choir. Yeah, no, you know, no. if you vote for the guy who I yeah, vote yeah. for, we're going to have a good time. But if you don't, 
then we got a problem. I could, that's not my show. How much do you turn over? I mean, do you do a new hour every year? No, I mean, that's kind of the way they do it over in uh, Europe. Well, that's right, but you, but it's those different. guys turn it over and they name their shows. And I mean, that's a separate conversation that you and I can have when we're done with this conversation. Because really, who gives a shit? And that may be yeah. my podcast. Who gives a shit? No, no, no. I, I do give a shit because there is something that that the the theater element of of the Europe, and I'm not condescending to anybody, but I mean, writing jokes that work in bars. You know, it's different than presenting a new hour that's themed at a festival. Absolutely. But also, I think they're dealing with a much smaller population base. America is a huge country. And one of the reasons that we have such a great comedy scene is that you could, it's not like vaudeville where you can do the same 20 minutes for 20 years. But, you know, you can go back to a city and you've got some new material and the people, it's not the same people coming to see you. Whereas when you go to a little theater in some little town that's in true. Ireland, that's it's, true. these are the people who saw you yeah, last year. Right. So you they know don't want to hear yeah. the same joke. After again. six years of going back, you're like, Joe, you know, you yeah. know the people. So you find that there's a big turnover because I still worry about that. I, I mean, I turn over material a lot, but you get this weird thing and I don't know how you work, but there seems to be at any given point in your career, this core chunk that kind of is the, the thing in the middle. And then you'll put some stuff on either side of it and yeah. that's your new stuff. Or then I've got the closer. You know, you got the closer that works good. Or, yeah. you know, I this is... I was a guy who didn't get a CD as soon as people were doing CDs because I kind of thought, what do I... I'm doing a show. I don't need to do a CD. And then I thought, well, I should do a CD because then I can... Then I'll have this material documented and yeah. I can go on and do new material, but there it'll be. This is what I did yeah. then. Right. And But I didn't really... Th I thought selling the CD after the show is going to be slightly creepy but it I, turns I did out too i, I but it turns to. out it turns out to be great yeah they love I, it i really like it i like standing at the yeah. table it gives me an excuse this is why i'm standing here to yeah. sell the cd you don't have to buy the cd but this means that i'm here so you can say yeah. hello to me exactly. i'm not just a creepy guy who's you know back in the day checking out chicks that i right. might be wanting to right. visit with after the show right but there's also that element when i when i was younger that the, you know this like the 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 rejection possible it's like when people walk by and they don't buy your cd or say hi that well, that's that, the other thing is i don't care about that but i, I mean, used it's nice to, to have that's why I didn't do it. Yeah. You can get into the psychology too of this was such an awesome show. I'm going to sell a ton of CDs yeah, and then enough. three people buy one. Yeah. And, you know, but so, so I got the CDs and then, then I'm working with a guy who's got a t shirt. So I see him sell more t shirts and I'm my whole act. You can buy not the one that I'm doing, but you can buy my whole act or you can buy one of his jokes on yeah. a shirt. <laughs> And people are buying the T-shirts. So, so now, okay, I give up. So I got a T-shirt now. So I'm standing there with a T-shirt. You got What's your T-shirt say? My daughter said this thing when we were eating dinner. Yeah. Um, you know, we were eating and she was laughing and she had food all over her face and she yeah. just goes, "I am happy." <laughs> so I got a little bit to tell her where I talk about I am happy and I'm I'm happy too. And you yeah. know, I did it in the special that was on Showtime and I think it's still on Netflix. This will take about an hour. No, this new one called "I Love You." When um, did that come out? It came out 2010. And it was it was on, it aired on Showtime a ton, and then it was live streaming on Showtime, and it's been on Netflix. And then I'll be you'll be able to buy the DVD, yeah. blah blah blah. Anyway, so I am happy. So I sell a shirt that my daughter said I am happy. So I, you can buy a shirt that says I am happy. How are those selling? Okay, you know <laughs> some people. I got another one uh, about another joke that's a little dirtier than people. That's that's the one that yeah. you know it's like okay, I want to take that out of my act. This is now I'm circling back. We're still I haven't I'm not going to leave for dead that question that you asked me yeah. five minutes ago, which was. Which was, you know, you're on, you're on stage and you have this core chunk that you yeah, do right, and then yeah. you rotate oh, other stuff good. around it. Yeah. So one of my problems is, you know, you've got the closer, so it's hard to find the new. I like to have something at the end where it's like, 
that was that, fun. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to leave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you right. know, so you know, I like I, that's sort of old school show, but some people are it just is. happy with like, I, this is, I've been talking long enough. I'll see you later. Yeah. You know, that's sort I, of I, a I new. Do, I kind of do that. You know, I, I used to be a closer guy, but now I just sort of like to trickle off into something poignant. I like that. I'm, you know, I may, I'm t- as I said, I'm going to take your seminar. So this no. is, that's all going to be included. But you don't want the, the laughter of the people to be like, I guess we're done. I guess yeah. that's it. He's Why in- don't you folks just wipe <laughs> off and I'm going to go, I'll see you later. Just whatever you do now. I'll be in back. Yeah. yeah. I'll still be out yeah, there yeah, with yeah. the CDs. You want a closer? It's on this CD. I got a closer on this one. Um, so so the material that I that I have trouble letting go is the thing that, you know, that's the, sort of the pow. built to the end. And I feel like that's sort of the end of the show. It's not always the same material, but it's like that's when it kind of gets to be more personal about my relationship, my wife or whatever. And then there's a, the T-shirt one, the yeah. joke that the sure. T-shirt is on. So it's hard to stop doing the t-shirt joke when it's like this is i'm using this money to pay for new teeth for my kid so (laughs) you don't bring it up on stage yeah what i I just work with a guy that brought the t-shirt up on stage that you know maybe you should take my seminar mark because you've got to bring the t-shirt up on stage. you do you hold up the t-shirt you hold up the cds and then you have a joke about it you have a joke you make a joke you hold it up and you have a joke i gotta do i haven't done that yeah you have a joke so it's actually part of the show and then and then, so I and should, then, if you've got two T-shirts, then the second joke is some version of maybe that's on a shirt too. You yeah, didn't what, know that was going to be on a shirt. Yeah. But yeah. so people, you pull the shirt out, people laugh. Can, you I, sell them a shirt if they want a shirt. Who knows? I, I, mean, I haven't done that. I haven't brought the merch on stage. Maybe I should. Maybe I should do that. Well, I don't know. No, I'm learning. What do you mean? What are you? Why you're, not? You're, Look, you're, you're the, the biggest ass pain about the merch. Is you got to check your bag. You got to carry this big bag. Know, you got to count and however many. Yep, and you don't how many do I take? You got to figure out how many know, you're going to take. So you're going to do all that shit and then you're not going to hold it up. Like, yeah, this is what the thing that yeah, you're going to buy I looks like. I don't want to bring the thing back with me. This has to stay here. I'm begging you. Yeah. <laughs> take I'm begging the shirt. You, if only so I don't have to pay $25 to check this bag on the yeah. way home. I can't remember what Louis said. Like, he had talked to you, you know, because uh, I know you did a show with him in Chicago, right? Yes. And he like he's uh he learned something from you like about your your work ethic. He saw you go on stage at the improv one night after somebody that just fucking destroyed. And as opposed to, you know, try to jump on that energy, you just got up there and you did your stuff and you waited and then you ended up turning the whole fucking room around. Well, that's nice. That is a I am very flattered to hear that he's telling that story about me cuz I would tell that story about Larry Miller. I saw Larry Miller do that one night at the Comedy Magic Club where it was like, I thought at the beginning, it was people were so not getting him, but it was like a freight train leaving the station, man. He just, he would just do the joke and it would not really get a laugh and maybe you, it, that feeling, you know, when you're when you're the comic on stage where it's sort of quiet and they <laughs> like, know it was a joke but yeah, maybe now they're going to insert but they don't insert because yeah. he's confident yeah. and, he's, and he does the next joke and you're like, holy cow, this is going to be tough and it was like a fright. By the end of the show, it was like, ring, 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 and bling, clang and yeah, people yeah. are throwing mail at him and it was <laughs> insane. He just destroyed the room and so I kind of, I got I learned that lesson I think for myself from Ray Booker. <laughs> Do you remember Ray Booker? Yeah, yeah. He's a comic in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, uh, he's a black dude with a little mustache, right? Yeah, yeah. And kind of curly, like he, a, yeah. And he had he people loved him, and he he swore and mm-hmm. motherfucker this, and we did this show, and 
and we were driving back and I said, you know, I, you know, well, that was awesome. You had such a great set. I went up and I just got my, and his thing was, you know, you go up, they hired you to do your act. So you go up and you do your act. And then if they like your act, that's great. But if they don't like your act, you can say to the guy, you hired me to do my act. And that's what I did. <laughs> So that means, so I understand that. I mean, my job is not to make people laugh no matter what they're doing. My job is to go in and do my act. And sure, yeah, I might change my material a little bit depending on, you know, if it's it's a little bit of a crazy night or I might talk to the crowd a little bit. But I'm not going to go up and go, hey, now I'm Mr. Super Dirty Guy or now I'm... Right. No, I, you there's know, no, you I'm can't, I don't muggy, have that. facey, yeah, yeah, happy, yeah. pull my pants down, no, whatever. The, the most you can do is some, some crowd work in yeah. the sense that like, I, there is no real kind of, there's no uh, alternative act for this situation. <laughs> right. Yeah. You there's know, not a, there's not another. Sometimes subtleties will be taken out if necessary. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do feel like that's what I would say to audiences, which sounds glib or flip but if you want to see a better comedy show audience laugh more yeah (laughs) because the more you're laughing the more asides the comedian will put in i mean it's the more relaxed the guy on stage or woman on stage will become and the more kind of interesting and intricate and right byzantine the show becomes because if you just sit there and you only laugh at the greatest hits then you're, the comic is going to go like, I'm going to just, I'm going to shrink down. I'm going to cut the tags out. I'm going to throw my, I'm doing my act, but I'm just, I'm cutting Jamming right to it. the fastballs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, it's a, it's a kind of a horrible decision to make when you have to make it, isn't it? Well, that feeling where you go, where you do the early show and it's unbelievable. Right. And you, you're, you've done 50 minutes and you didn't get to 10 minutes right, of your act. Great, and then the late show, you do that 50 minutes plus the other 10 <laughs> that you didn't get to, and you're still only at a half an hour. <laughs> and you got to act like it's just another and show. And it's just what happened. It's just like you, these, the, the crowd is just that sort of jello, like whatever you throw into them, they're like, bloop, they absorb it. <laughs> yeah, that's the sound you hear. <laughs> but sometimes those crowds are having a great time. That's, that's, that's the, the other thing. thing that I would say is yeah. like, you you're the performer you see all of the shows you're on stage and so you see the seven shows you do each week and you could rank them as to which one you thought the audience responded the most but if you also then polled the audience as they left on a one to ten you think this what was a show they might be all the shows might be tens or the show that you thought was a ten of audience response compared to the other one they say that was about an eight and a half but the other show where you felt like they were dead those people all think it was a (laughs) ten yeah you you don't know yeah it's it's ridiculous now are your folks still around yes are they happy with you yeah they are happy with me they weren't happy when i dropped out of college at 21 and moved to california to be a comedian but they supported it and they were you know they supported it they were nice i didn't even realize till 10 years later that my mother had said to my father you go and tell him he has to go back to college and my father said i'll i can go and tell him that but he's still going to do what he's going to do and you just won't get to talk to him for the next five years so what do you want me to do now (laughs) my dad he's so smart and they were so and then they did it they stuck to the plan and were completely supportive i just and now having a kid if my kid was 21, when you're 21... How old's your kid? She's seven. But uh, when when you're 21, you feel like you're all grown up. And then now, yeah. when you get to be... Even when you get to be 40 or 30, yeah. 35, whatever, you yeah. look at 21-year-olds and you they're like, it's so young. They're, yeah. they're really are like... 
if I had a kid who was 21, I don't think I could be as cool as my parents were. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So well, they you're were going to awesome. find out. What kind of business yeah. was were they in? My dad was, he was the black sheep of his family because he grew up, his, his father, my grandfather was a farmer who moved from Germany when he was 12 by himself and paid off his passage to his uncle. He worked on the farm to pay it off. And then by the time he retired, he was farming a thousand acres, 600 he owned himself. He was a just bootstrapped himself up and then my dad's brother and his two sisters and there's they all were in farming or crop insurance or that kind of stuff and my dad went to he went into the army and then he went into uh, college to became an engineer and he was a corporate vice president so he he was the black sheep of his farm family to become a corporate guy and then i'm the black sheep of the corporate engineer guy to go and be a is there still a jo- show business? This is show business, Mark. That's sure. the great thing about it. Is. it. Is, is there still a Johansson family farm? Uh, no. I mean, you could go see the house where my, where my uncle lived and that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, not so really. You, you, not really. You? My parents now live in North Carolina. Oh, really? So when you when I go visit them, like are your parents, your parents yeah. are around, yeah. right? So yeah. when you go visit them, is are they still where you went to high school? And my dad is back there. You know, and they're still, you know, he went, he took a, a 10 year pilgrimage to different places, but he ended up back where I grew up. My mother's in Florida. Mm, Florida. But when nice. I go back home, yeah, Florida, what a trip, huh? She loves to party. <laughs> yeah. Florida's a fucking trip. I love New Orleans, and Florida has a little bit of that sort of party, party, it's stay like up late, go crazy. I don't know what but the it's, hell's going But on. it's really just like hot and sticky. I don't know how Pete, they convinced everyone, like, no, this is. A, I just don't know. I used to, you know, uh, kind of generalize about it, like it's just old people, or whatever. But then you go down there and you're like, there is something fucking weird down here. I've had a great time. Now, see, I'm just trying to PR us back into our gigs in Florida. Yeah, I've had a great time working in Florida. Mm-hmm. You know, the clubs down there and the audiences are great. But yeah, it's a it's a kind of a crazy like it's trip. Any kind, kid abducted from a campground. Florida. Florida, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 There's uh, always some kind of weird like, alligators eating people. You know, you know, child pornography rings. You know, weird. Uh, you know, drug situation. Scarface, right? I mean, all That's of it. All you it's all say. fucking Florida. Florida. Yeah. yeah. And what? Oh, before I get, before I forget, this boom that everyone talked about that you were part of in the '80s. Yes. Did you feel like? The, was there a period there where you felt it crash? And you were, you were <laughs> <laughs> when <laughs> where you're like, uh oh. I is, looked uh... over and I saw John Fox putting on his parachute, <laughs> and I said, I think we're in trouble. <laughs> but was there ever a period there where you like were can, you really frightened for your profession or your livelihood? Um, well, you know, in the middle of there, there's you do a little part in a movie, you got a TV show pilot, yeah. so those things right. kind of offset some of the stuff. Um, I was lucky enough that I was getting, I was sort of in a zone where I felt like I've been coming here for long enough that I'm still going to have a gig, or yeah. I might have to, you know, every year you've got your 80% of your gigs that you did last year, so you're going to do those again, and then the other 20% sort of rotate in and around. So I didn't feel super freaked out. But I did, there was a little bit of a panic in that where where all at once the idea of how you run a comedy club is you give away all the free tickets and then you try and entertain whoever yep. shows up. Is That's a problem, isn't it? Yeah, it's a problem. It's a flawed, I mean, comedy clubs sort of run the cycle from we're going to book great shows that people want to pay for the ticket yeah. and come and see. and uh, And then, well, you know what? 
we're going to fill out the seats that aren't there with free tickets. But aren't then, they the worst? And then they keep the well. The, they have nothing invested. If you don't pay for the show, you don't respect the right. show. So there's one thing to be said. If there's 20% of the audience is getting in for cheap tickets, that's not really a problem. But right. when it starts to go over 50%, then you can get into a thing of like, no, I really need for you to be quiet. You know, when right. anytime when you're in a situation where you have to explain to the audience that you're, no, you don't get it. I've been in show business for 30 years. I think you should be quiet while I say my show. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's not a good feeling. It's not a good feeling for anybody. <laughs> it's not my job to babysit whatever problems you're having. You can't, I, you know what I mean? Like, right, I, it's like, I'm not going to cry, but yeah. shut up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So yeah. you go through it, too. So you don't want to be mad. I don't, I don't like to be mad. I mean, my, I try and keep the attitude of, like, I do thousands of shows. I've done thousands of shows. I'm going to do seven shows this week. I just did a great show. You, this Where is you your going? one show. Yeah. You're ruining your one show. Right. <laughs> my advice to you would be to stop that. <laughs> but so, anyway, when I'm on the road... I, that's how I started out is you do the radio to yeah. get people to come to the show. So I don't mind. That's yeah. part of my job. No, yeah, it's a little it bit either. of a, you know, when people say you have so much free time on the road, why don't you write a screenplay? It's like, I, I got to get up. I get there and do a show right after I got the, off the plane. Then right. I try and go to sleep, but I end up sleeping five hours and get up to do Six morning radio morning. and yeah. three radios and a TV. Then I take a nap. Yeah. Then I wake up and try and exercise and eat some lunch. Now it's four in the afternoon, but really to me it's morning. Yeah. And yeah, and then your day's gone. That happens and then for gone. a couple of days in a row. And then you do three shows on Saturday night, and you feel like you've just been wrung out and soap sopped up yeah. and wrung out, and so you just are disoriented. And yeah. Then you cry on the way home. <laughs> you go back to your life. And you feel all better. And your wife says, "I think you should take care of our kid right now because I got to go. I got to get out of here." How long you were? Mar- how long you been married? Uh, we'll be nine years in October. So you had a kid when you were 46? 44. Yeah. Yeah, 44. And that's a good thing. It is a good thing. I, I highly recommend Because I'm old and, I, I, and like, I'm, you know, I could have a kid. Like, I'm with a girl right now. So well, you know, here, and you could tell me this more than anyone. Is your wife I, age appropriate? or? I yeah, don't she's know. two years younger than me. Uh, okay. So, but she's hot. Okay. No, I'm not judging. I think I can say, yeah. safely say that. Yeah. Um... But yeah, so that's good. I don't know. You you have a girlfriend, I think that's ten years younger than you. Is that right? No, more. more. Yeah. yeah, that would be that would be tricky for me. Yeah, because I don't know if I can. I just I have the music that I like, and then also the cultural references. Yeah. And when you say something, and they're just like, "What?" Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, I don't. I'm not experiencing that. My fear is is that uh, that I'll just become old. Well, that, that's not a fear. That's reality. It's going to happen. That's reality. Right? But yeah. the good news is, yeah. there's going to be a young, attractive lady. Changing your diaper. If you play your cards right, okay, that's how it works out. To. But you got to be nice now. The thing is, no, don't say it out loud. I wouldn't yeah. let her listen to this. Yeah. But uh, if you play your cards right, if you're sweet to her now, yeah. Then later on, she's yeah. gonna be like, "Well, he was so nice to me. Yeah, I got to really. I don't him. like this, but it's the right <laughs> thing to do. It makes me feel good about myself to change his diaper. <laughs> Something to look forward to. Yeah. Now, are you are you experiencing a career? Uh, like, because, see, in my mind, you're one of the, the great predecessors to, I mean, you do great comedy. And I, and I know that, I mean, you're, you're grounded, you're, you have your own voice, you, you do long-form bits that, uh, that are actually, you know, somewhat universal. They're not completely self-involved. You know, you have, you're a great craftsman. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, do you, I mean, when you see younger comics now, do you get the respect that you think you deserve? 
One of the nice things I would say, you know, to go back about to the, you know, this is sort of a circle back on that yeah. bitterness question before, you know, it's like, I, I don't have a, I've had a lot of great experiences. I performed for the president at Ford Theater and got a reception at the White House. Which president? It was Bush, the first Bush. Uh-huh. You know, I let's say personally for my voting habits, maybe a different president would have been, been slightly nicer, but it was awesome. Yeah. My picture was in the Washington Post next to him, yeah. shaking his hand the next day. I've performed in Hong Kong and Ireland, that Kilkenny Comedy Festival. Um, I've done HBO specials and a Tonight Show and all yeah. that other stuff. The best, the best moment of any comic's career is the one that you forget the day you quit your day job that's the best yeah that's the best yeah that's what every comic wants and yeah. so that's the best day of my career the other things that are nice that happen to you to me is to to have audiences that like you to still be able to do your show the way that you want to do it and and really they like you you like them you have a good thing and then to have the respect of your peers yeah and so i do feel like i have the respect of my peers maybe not maybe not all of them but you know, you work with somebody and they tell you that you influence them or they're nice to you or they, yeah. they like you. I mean, that to me, it does mean a lot to me that people are talking nice about me behind my back, maybe. That's, a, I mean, I don't know if that's healthy no, or, definitely or, or good or bad. It's good. But yeah, I feel like I kind of have that. I'm sure there's people who they're into another thing. I mean, there is that hard rolling, tough guy comedy, that edge where it's the dirty, outrageous, yeah. you know, I'm changing the world with my talking, you know. Yeah. Those guys, I don't know what they think of me because I'm doing a completely different thing yeah. from them. Yeah. But, uh, you know, like when knows? Like when Louis had you do that show, was it? did you feel that, uh, like, what was that show? Because it, it was like he was headlining. Oh, the Chicago show. Well, so I get a call from my manager that says, do you want to do this show in the Chicago, the Chicago Theater? And uh, this is the money. And I say, well, that sounds great. Who's on the show? And they go, it's Louis C.K. And I go, well, who else? They go, well, we don't know. I go, what's the deal? Well, you get this amount of money and you get your own flight in your hotel out of that amount of money and then you do the show. And so I think, okay, well, it's kind of weird. It's not the weirdest show I've ever yeah. done. And the Chicago Theater, I performed there before, so I'm going to do it. And then I get there and I real and I, I say, hey, I'm going to be at the Chicago Theater. I get there and Louis's like, no, this is my show and you're the special secret guest. And I go, well, somebody could have told me that. <laughs> Because I tweeted it because I thought I was doing a show that my fans could come to. I didn't realize it was they were both sold out before yeah. anybody even found out I was on yeah, the bill. Yeah. But uh, it was it was awesome. So he calls up and I go in and then I get there and I'm thinking, okay, it's it's me and Richard Lewis and uh, Stephen Wright and we're going on. Louis going to MC and then he's, he introduces me and then Richard and I think it was Stephen. That was the order. And but we're just doing twelve minutes each. Huh. It's like twelve minutes. I mean, and then he did what half, half hour, he, an he hour. Did, he went out and did like fifteen, and then introduced me, and I did twelve, and then he did five, and then he, you know, so so he had already done like twenty minutes, and then he went on and did like fifty minutes to an hour at the end. Yeah, and it was awesome. Louis's awesome. Yeah, and I was happy to be a part of the show, but it was I didn't really get that that's what oh, it was oh, going to oh. be at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But his fans are awesome. They're there for him, and he gives this great introduction. You know, that included I think that story you told about oh, okay. me in the second show. He kind of told that story when he introduced me, and so I got twelve minutes. It's like, yeah, I go out and I just kind of like, okay, here's how we start, and then we do this, and then we do that, and here's another joke, and here's yeah. another joke, and, and how I'll see you later. Did you feel like he was like? Uh, well, I guess the the, the question and as it relates to the other question was that it seemed to me that he put that show together to bring in people that that influenced him and that yeah, he had that was respect his thing. For. Yeah, so yeah, it felt very good. Yeah, that felt very good. Yeah. You know. The premise that 
I'm some old guy compared to Louie is a little bit like a timeout for me. <laughs> I mean, I get Louie has recently blown up and he's hugely <laughs> successful at selling out theaters, but I mean, I'm not that much older than Louie. <laughs> And I haven't been doing comedy that much longer. I mean, five years, maybe, maybe yeah. six yeah, years yeah, longer yeah. than him. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. not. It's not like. Yeah. It's not like. And now the dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that was what he was planning. No, no. But I'm just saying. Yeah, 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 I'm just yeah, saying it was. Yeah. It was a. That was a funny element of it. And how many guys do you talk to from the old? Do you, like, uh, Matt Weinhold came over last night. Do you know? You yes, remember Matt Weinhold? Yeah, I, I love Matt yeah, Weinhold. He's great. And he's one of my. Uh, you know, I'm a dabbler in the science fiction horror oh, yeah. comic book yeah, world, yeah, yeah. but I don't have like a hundred plastic dudes in my bedroom. <laughs> and um, he probably shouldn't. He did. I went over to his house one time and I was like, how do you get a girl to come in here, man? But I went to his wedding a few months ago. He's awesome. He's, <laughs> so he found he's a girl. married. He's happy. <laughs> he brings over this movie though last night. What? So he comes over after his writing job. Yeah. And he's like, God, I just he's gonna have a vodka, and I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not gonna drink, but uh, let's watch the movie. And so he's got a bag of movies. This one, maybe this one, maybe this one. And he yeah. goes, this one is, uh, it's crazy, but a lot of people are talking about. It. I think we should watch this one. So let me just say, this is a public service announcement to you, yeah, and to all of the listeners. Human Centipede, yeah, don't watch it. Oh. Do you know about it? So you're, I, I, you're you're in horror right now because it's it's the most horrific. Like we're a, halfway it, through it, and I pause to get some more tea and go to the bathroom, and I have to say to him like, I don't even think I can tell my move my wife what this movie was about. I I, I know even, I know what the Human Centipede is. It's horrible. It's horrible. Right? It, I don't think we should even talk about. Okay. It. Well, I think, I mean just, just it's a public that. service. Like yeah, yeah. like I just did you a favor. Yeah yeah yeah. All right. Thanks, Jake. You good? Do we have more? Do, do, no, no. I think this is. I mean, this is good for one time. I feel like we could get to if we keep talking now. It could be. Yeah, we, get, yeah, we start. You know, you don't up. want to, it. Could be that diminishing thing of like, boy, it was so good. And then I'm going to give you a seminar. Yeah, we're going to do the seminar now. Super. Well, thanks for coming by. Thank you. Okay, that's it. I'd like to thank Jenks Johansson again for uh, being in the garage and talking about what it's like to be a real comic who does comedy for a living it's, uh, <laughs> and has been doing it for a good long time. I'm happy he's still out there. I'm happy he's still generating material. That's a, It's an amazing feat. If you need any WTF-related stuff, go to WTFPod.com. Get the apps. Get on the mailing list. Kick in a few shekels. Buy a shirt. Check out the premium stuff. You can go buy some uh, episodes if you don't want to get the app. There's a lot of things you can do. I will be at Acme in Minneapolis tonight through Saturday. That's March 8th through 10th. Uh, I'll be at South by Southwest on the 11th and New York City taping the John Oliver stand-up show on the 12th. Oh, I feel like I'm a little edgy today. Oh, something just happened.